The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 111. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. It's when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Brave hearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position, you know, sir. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Allons-y! I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! Should be fine. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're back to discussing the a story from the first Doctor called The Censorites. I almost said the first Doctor story, but that's not right. It's a story from the first Doctor called The Censorites. And joining me today on the panel, as always, are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Good. So as we always do, I want to remind you to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook page there. Just look for it there. Retweet us on Twitter when you find us at SQPN. Uh, you can leave us comments, subscribe if you're not yet subscribed in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Tune in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube where you should hit the bell to get notifications of new episodes. And remember to share the podcast with your friends to help us grow the community of listeners and reach more Doctor Who fans, because we know that if you listen to this podcast, you are a Doctor Who fan and we want to share the wealth with so many more people. So today we're talking about uh, this, as I said, the first Doctor story called The Censorites. And uh, it's an interesting uh, little play, uh, a six episode story here where things move quite a bit, I have to say. So this is mm -hmm. from the first season of The First Doctor. Um, it was broadcast from between June and August of 1964. Um, we are still with Susan, Ian, and Barbara on the TARDIS with the Doctor, and we're picking up from where from the you know previous episodes as things are kind of continuing along as they're trying to get home. Um, and it starts with them recounting their adventures so far and how they've changed. Mm -hmm. um, and the Doctor even mentions he had an encounter with Henry VIII. Um, so yeah. that's, we, that's one of one of three interesting references to the pre Ian and Barbara era in this. There's actually been a debate among um, among fans about, you know, just how long did that period before Ian and Barbara ha go on where just the doctor and Susan were traveling. And uh, based on evidence in this episode, we learned that it went on for a period of years. Yeah. Apparently mm -hmm. in this story, I should say, not the first episode of it. But in this story, we learned that it went on for years that the doctor and Susan were traveling alone. And we uh, we learn of three prior adventures. One is with Henry VIII, where Henry VIII apparently sent the doctor to the tower which of London, which was his plan because that's where the TARDIS was. He also <laughs> apparently had a 19th century adventure with Bo Brummel, right? Who mm -hmm. said he looked better in a cape. And <laughs> Susan mentions they had an adventure on the planet Esto, which had telepathic plants, and if you stood between them, it would interrupt the flow of their telepathy. Right, right, yeah. It's very interesting. It's sort of a, a big expansion of the of the of the Doctor Who 
universe mythology. in this episode. Yeah, the mythology. Uh, we we get that right here, right quick, you know, fairly quickly throughout this. Um, and it feels like they they wanted to sort of expand the the background for us as a well. If you, I mean, we, if you we took still the have first... no clue about Gallifrey and and right. the Time Lords yet. Right. Yeah, if you took the first the first few serials just as they were, as they would have been, you know, broad, broadcast back then. The only thing you know is that they were, you know, they were exiled from their their own their home planet, but know nothing about what they did after that. Did they go from that home planet right to Earth? Did they bounce around a little bit? And so, and I wonder if that was a conscious decision on the part of the producers to say, you know, we need to make it sound like the Doctor did more than just go from home planet to Earth. Right. Right. So what what we what we get now is they encounter this derelict spaceship, apparently derelict spaceship, uh, full of recently dead people. They have uh, hadn't moved for twenty four hours before that, based on their self winding watches. As the doctor explains to us how a self winding watch works. Uh, that was Interestingly, that they're in the far future and yet they still have mechanical watches. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. Uh, and it turns out that they had been uh, sedated or uh, made to look as if dead by this uh, species called the Sensorites. And when we're first introduced to the concept of the Sensorites, uh, they're, they're sort of the scary unknown, the, these creatures. And in fact, when we first see them on screen, kind of coming up into the, into the portal, the window out into space on the bridge of the ship, <laughs> they, were, they were kind of creepy. Would it, that would be kind mm -hmm. of creepy yeah. for me as a kid if I'd seen that. Um, so it's, it was very interesting. And we kind of... Not a whole lot happens in this first episode of the of the sixth, uh, except we kind of get introduced to the idea of th that there's some sort of uh, conflict between humans of that era and the sensorites. So mm -hmm. we're in the 28th century. They established that. Right. And we have these hu three human astronauts, two men and a woman uh, on this spaceship that is in the solar system of a planet called the Sense Sphere which is where the sensorites are from. And if you haven't seen it, to give you an idea of what the sensorites look like, they're kind of like gray aliens. Um, they have big, long heads. They're bald for the most part on top. They have kind of pointed ears. They have uh, darkish eyes, not giant eyes, but darkish eyes. Mm -hmm. And you don't really see their mouths. Um it's not clear whether they're, it's it, exactly what's going on with their mouths is not clear because they have these upswept beards yep. growing out <laughs> of the bottom of their chins. And instead of hanging down like our beards, their beards like sweep up. And um, and they also they wear these uh, jumpsuits. Oh, and they have weird round feet. Their feet are totally round. Yes, not 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 like <laughs> uh, like a flat plate is the the bottom of their foot's like a flat plate. Right. And so they're wearing these body stockings and they also have something that looks kind of like a stethoscope that hangs uh from their shoulder and they if they put the the round part of the stethoscope on their forehead they can transmit their thoughts. Mm -hmm. So with this visual imagery of like the bald head and the the round thing on a cord they seem kind of reminiscent of the ood. Yes. And according to Stephen uh, or Russell T. Davies, they were an influence on the Ood. And he uh, established on screen, uh, on computer screens in the show, that the sense sphere is in the same solar system as the Ood sphere. So mm. they apparently are related races. Very interesting. And like, like the Ood's, they are actually not aggressive at all. They're very, well, not, they're not aggressive. They are actually timid. 
um, mm-hmm. but they're not as servile as the Uds are. Right. Yeah. The uh, the 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 telepathic device I, I, to me it looks exactly like an Apple Watch charger cord. <laughs> so, okay. To use a a, a, a modern <laughs> reference uh, that some of you know. Uh, so uh, yeah, and in fact, that's a very interesting aspect of it is, is the similarity of of them. In they the, one of the things that sets them apart though is that they're also easily startled by loud noise and mm-hmm. bright and not bright light but darkness so mm-hmm. uh, even like dim light that we would consider dim they for whatever reason their eyes cannot perceive anything and it's very dark for them alarming it, yep. it's alarming and they're they're easily startled uh so uh they also have an ability to as we kind of mentioned suppress uh the 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 brain function of humans um and the one fellow, one of the guys on board the ship, they they introduced a permanent state of fear, which was, I thought was fascinating. This idea that mm-hmm. the the crewman John, who just could not like he was just permanently afraid, and it made him they said act violent. Although we never actually saw him act violently, yeah. but he was a kind of creepy zombie guy who was constantly right. paranoid. Yeah, there was a great moment where uh, they they point out that uh, his hair had turned white. Uh, apparently from stress because you know uh, no no uh, no man of any youth would actually have hair that white and the doctor took exception to this <laughs> to this uh, uh, slur against <laughs> well, people who they, have white hair <laughs> I, was say, I think they said he was like 30 or something like that but yeah. his hair is all white yeah there there's a couple of fun moments in this where um they're they're trying to they're they're on board and they're trying to get um the tardis key uh lock is stolen the sense rights by this yeah take take it right out of the tardis not the not the key and it's very interesting because I don't think I've ever seen any other creature tamper so fundamentally with the TARDIS as we do here. No, normally it's invulnerable, especially for people who don't have similar technology. And it's interesting they then don't go into the TARDIS because it's now become dangerous mm-hmm. to do so. Since the door lock is gone, it could apparently collapse the internal dimensions if they just open that door. Right, right. And, uh, it's it, and this is it creates the the classic TARDIS separation plot device uh, where the, they have to you know figure a way to get back into the TARDIS and get get home, and uh, they this is funny moment uh, just sort of classic old TV. Uh, there's this cabinet labeled water, and um, it, it, Barbara says, "Where's the water?" And the, one of the crew says, "Over there." On that side, and so so she and Susan walk right by the cabinet, clearly labeled water, and go through the door to the place where no one is supposed to go. And I just, thought, yep. oh, oh, you mean down through the door and down the hall? I just thought that was pretty funny. Um, then we find out that Susan is telepathic, and yeah, and she's receives telepathic messages from the sensorites. And this is the first time we've had Time Lord telepathy explored in the show we didn't know that time lords were telepathic before and even susan is not that telepathic this is a new ability for her that the doctor is not has not realized she's had personally previously um but she begins to be able to communicate in more than other people can with the sensorites and so time lords we learn have a can, can have a kind of limited telepathy Yep. They're not like betazoids that are just reading everybody all the time. Right. And it's mm-hmm. funny. There's a funny moment where the doctor reveals to Ian that he's telepathic, too, and can sometimes read Ian's mind, which is uh, uh, Ian gets a little disturbed <laughs> with at first, uh, although that seems to pass. 
Uh, and then the sensorites, they demand that Susan go with them to their to the sense sphere uh, or th- they'll kill everyone else. And so uh, the, the doctor um, and Ian accompany them to the surface mm-hmm. and Barbara stays behind. And Barbara is not in this story for several episodes. Barbara, right. Barbara because, gets a vacation. Uh, she literally the actress got a vacation <laughs> for five episodes and <laughs> yeah. she comes back in in the sixth episode. Right. Right. And that's how they like we've talked about before, how they that's how they on this shooting schedule where constantly episodes, this is how they would manage to give the actress some time off. Um, yeah. It's not like uh, soap operas today where they say the character of so-and-so is played by so-and-so. <laughs> right. Exactly. The, uh, the doctor does not like Susan going with the sense rights. In fact, she disobeys him, uh, which was, mm-hmm. a, it's just a very interesting moment where she stands up to her grandfather and, and says, yeah. no, this is this is a nice character moment. Um, and she does eventually capitulate and does what he says. But um, but she's like, you're treating me like a child. Stop it. And then we get a nice conversation between Ian and Barbara about the fact Susan is growing up. And then later, Barbara comes to Susan and is saying, even though your grandfather you know, doesn't appreciate how grown up you are. He is trying to do the right thing here. And so she tries to help Susan see the doctor's perspective. And so it's very nice. You have this typical scene that, you know, would happen in any species as young people are transitioning to being mature adults. And um, and you have Susan uh, uh, Barbara playing this kind of intermediary role as a mature woman. She's mediating between the grandfatherly perspective and the granddaughterly perspective. And it really is a, a development. You know, we talk a lot about development of character, but it really is a development of the character of Susan, where she's not just the, yes, grandfather, yes, grandfather, yes, right. grandfather. And screechy at the everything. Yeah. And actually, if they had continued to explore things about Susan like they do in this story, Carol Ann Ford may have stayed with the series because she she didn't like the uh, unchallenging acting role of just being a, a kid who screeches. She wanted to be the more mature, and she thought the telepathy they gave her made her character much more interesting. And so if they'd continued to explore her maturation and her telepathy, she might have stayed with the series well, longer. I wonder if that is as much an issue of TV then versus TV now, because we're used to character development. We, you know, we, we yeah. recently recorded an episode talking about season 11 of New Who, and that was one of the things we talked about was character development. That's something we expect in TV today. I wonder if that wasn't quite as much an issue in the 60s. It's an interesting question i'm there not was sure much more of a status quo hit the reset button right in a lot mm-hmm. of tv right you know uh, i wondered and maybe this based on what you just said jimmy this is not true but i wondered if they were actually laying the groundwork here for susan eventually separating from the doctor and going off on her own with you know leaving her behind um there may have i don't know that's tickling a memory there may have actually been a, pl- a proposal to have a spinoff series with susan Oh, interesting. Oh, wow. oh, that would have been. But I may be misremembering that. Okay. Okay. It certainly never happened. Right. Not until Big Finish. Yeah. Right. Uh, so now we get this difference. We're into the second episode, and we get this different perspective, or actually in the third episode, this different perspective on the sensorites, where now it seems that they they're not actually they don't actually want to be at war with humans. They just they want to they want peace, uh, but they're afraid. And so they, they just want to be left alone. Right. Yeah. And some humans who were here previously 
have apparently done wrong by the censorites, which is why they're so suspicious of humans. Right. And they say people always say they want peace, but then they destroy. Um, mm-hmm. And they and the doctor, meanwhile, has uncovered evidence that possibly John, who's a mineralogist, John the astronaut, um, and and possibly members of a previous expedition have discovered something very valuable mineralogically on the sense sphere, namely molybdenum, which uh, which they uh, uh, may want to exploit. And so the sensorites have good reason to be mistrustful of humans. Right. Uh, yes. The, uh, apparently in the 20th century, molybdenum is the thing to have uh, on the. Well, and, and, and it, it does have actually they taught. I, I was surprised at how accurate all the science is. Yeah, they really fulfilled mm-hmm. their remit in this series of episodes in explaining the science to kids. Um, but molybdenum, it does have a very high melting point compared to iron, and it does make really good steel. And it is a strategic asset. Actually, a lot of people aren't aware of this, but there was kind of a minor uh, battle-ish encounter during World War II here in the United States where we had um, a molybdenum mine. I think it was in Colorado or somewhere like that. And um, and the Nazis had agents who were like supposed to take out this molybdenum mine <laughs> and it and to deprive us of this strategic asset, and it didn't work. Oh, that would be a very interesting movie. Uh, yeah. I'll pass it along to any scriptwriters I know. So, um, one of the things that the doctor says actually in the beginning of this is, uh, I, I forgot to mention this. He says. Uh, he wants to leave as soon as they encounter like the 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 dead people on the on the spaceship. They, mm-hmm. they don't remember. He says I've learned not to meddle in other people's affairs years ago, which caused me to stop <clears throat> and laugh out loud at because yeah. oh, yes. that's pretty much Doctor oh, yes. Who in in a nutshell is meddling in other people's affairs. <laughs> well, that was I mean that's again going to season eleven with with Jodie Whittaker. That she how many times did you see she say that don't meddle in other people's affairs, and yeah. then she goes and meddles in people's affairs. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, so we have this. Uh, they're now down on the surface. It's uh, Ian and Susan and the doctor. Um, they, we find out that this. Go ahead. And they they have all these new sense sphere sets with lots of curves and stuff. So right. The architecture mm-hmm. looks very different than anything we're used to. Right. Uh, and the, the sensors have a cast system and they're identified not by name, but by role and right. uh, but verbally identified and and visually identified. Really set off by certain uh, series of sashes or collars or armbands, and yeah. and uh, that play that that play is a role in this, which is sort of like the sensorites all look the same to us, and we only really able to distinguish the one from another by the particular armband or sash that they're wearing. And right. even they apparently, unless they're really close up, can't can't tell one from another. They recognize each other that way too. I exactly. like how the first elder has crossed baldrics, yes. two mm-hmm. crossed sashes. He looks like he needs to strap on bells and start doing a Morris dance. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it was it was funny. What I what struck me was, uh, you know, the first elder was the cross sashes. The second elder was just the one sash across. Like it actually. Re- that's what I was going to say. It reminds me because when priests in the traditional, right, the extraordinary form, the 1962 missile, whatever you want to call it, uh, when they would do their stoles, they don't drape them down like you see priests do today. They would cross them. It was right. bishops that would have them struck. So first, the first elder was like a priest with his cross stoles. The second elder was like the deacon with his cross or his sash across his his body, stole and, across his body. And the uh, city administrator is like the Anglican minister, which is the collar. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, so, so speaking of the city administrator, so we have this 
this very interesting complex plot show up where the the first elder is the leader of the people the second elder is like the vice president uh mm-hmm. of the of the pe- of the world also like a counselor yes first elder yep. right and then we have the city administrator who's uh say like the mayor of the capital city so we have these different political positions and while the first elder and the second elder are amenable to dealing with the aliens the city administrator is immediately suspicious immediately wants to cast them out um and and it's it's all about it's not that he's um it's all about just his suspicions of of aliens he's he's not evil and even the first and second elder need to have the humans prove their trustworthiness to mm-hmm. them based right. on their prior experience this is one of the things that i like most about this series i really like this series because of the complex portrait it gives us of both alien and human culture. The humans are not universally good in this. We later mm. meet members of the previous expedition who are there to exploit the Sensorite planet. Right. Um, they are villains, but other humans are good. And you get the same thing on the Sensorite side, where you have Sensorites who are reasonable and and eventually realize the trustworthiness of the Doctor and companions, like the First Elder and the Second Elder. But then you have Sensorites who are just dead set against human beings like the city administrator. So you have this complex society on both sides, which makes the plot much more interesting to me. Right. Both sides or even one side is all good or all bad. Um, Also, I like the fact that the conflict, as Susan points out, is that suspicion is making them enemies. Right. Mm. It's it's not their evil. They're not like Daleks. And unlike Daleks, they don't all have the same ideology. They have disagreements. And that makes them much more interesting and makes this, in principle, a much more interesting story to me than a standard monsters equals bad or humanity equals bad episode. Right. There's an interesting aspect to the to, to this where the, the the city administrator has a plan to kill the doctor and companions. Uh, but also you eventually that that progresses to uh, a coup. At first, it's not just about it's not about a coup. At first, it's just about um, he wants to save his people. But then he decides that the only way to save his people is to get rid of the first elder and the second elder. And 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 then he can have the power to to be in charge of everything. And then and to, so there's this complex political situation yeah. among the sensorites. And it develops step by step. And so this is what in a six parter, this is what keeps it from being boring is that we have these, this complex political plot unfolding, mm-hmm. that not just running through corridors. Right. Exactly. And then we, so we have the, 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 the dramatic tension at this point is um, Ian drinks the wrong water. <laughs> so apparently this, yeah. There's two kinds of water. There's crystal water and aqueduct water. And uh, Ian drinks the aqueduct water uh, against advice of the first elder. So in other words, it's the difference of drinking Perrier versus the (laughs) grocery store generic bottled water. Yes. See, Doctor Who has always been political. (laughs) Perrier (laughs) is poison uh, or Fiji water or coconut water or whatever. premium. Oh, okay. So uh, the the sensories apparently just accept the fact that so, uh, some amount of people die of a disease while uh, dr- uh, you you know uh, the the related to the aqueduct water, but it's mm-hmm. been more since the humans showed up, right? Um, and then the so they the the doctor is convinced that it's not just you know random, it's not just uh 
you know, a weird d- d- disease that they're being poisoned. He, he finally figures out that there is a, um, what was right. it? Is the belladonna, I guess it is, is the poison that he, he finds. Deadly it, nightshade. Uh, deadly nightshade, which is kind of funny. You know, funny. Oh, atropine poison is what he is, 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 yep. is, is deadly nightshade. Um, which is funny because that's, is that not a. That's, that's a real thing. And they accurately describe the symptoms of it. But that's an earth plant, right? I mean, obviously. It is an earth pl- yeah. Well, the the compound that it, that makes deadly nightshade poisonous is you know that's just a chemical so they could have that on any planet but he does later in the in the aqueduct underworks he finds a a, a deadly nightshade plant right and mm-hmm. he doesn't make the connection oh this must have been brought here by the earth expedition that also must be hiding down here right right, right. yeah i, I kind of wish he'd made that connection because at the time i just thought it was oh now you're just being silly anachronistic and not explaining you know and, and kind of making the mistake of of, of uh, uh an earth plant being on an alien planet but but right. in fact connect the dots there was there was put there by these this you this know and crash it, the funny part is they could they they could make it as simple as oh this is just like nightshade on earth this must be where the poison is coming from yeah. this right. is and, space nightshade yes uh apparently the sensors also have nice cur- nice cursive handwriting in english uh if you remember mm-hmm. the uh, the list yeah. of the water districts as they were testing them, uh, so the doc- uh, that was the TARDIS translating for us. Uh, so let's do that. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the uh, the doctor traces the poison to this one particular district uh, of the of you know, in the Sincerite planet, I guess, or the city. And yeah, at the city. the city. And apparently they've been moving the. We don't know that it's the Earth Expedition guys that are doing it, but apparently they've been shifting it around which is why the sensorites haven't figured out because it's not always the same district being poisoned. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like a very effective plot because like, what are they trying to accomplish? The, the humans, are they trying to kill all the sensorites? Because it doesn't seem to be like yeah. they're poisoning enough of the water to kill them all off. They're just really being like, well, it's, it's evil. It's annoying. Kind of the, the kind of the, you know, almost guerrilla warf- warfare type technique of you know you, you just you, you be enough of a, a, a thorn in their side until they finally just give up but give up but to what they effect? haven't made any demands right right like yeah. well, are they trying to get them to leave uh, their own planet i mean it's just it's a it's a very it's a sort of a strange it doesn't now, bear too much the, i mean to be fair jumping to the end the, the humans that are doing this are delusional well yes they that, that is their minds are gone and they they think they're in like this perpetual war with the sensorites and yeah. they're doing it as part of that war that's so. true the sensorites don't even know the they're at war with these humans. Don't whereas, even know we're under attack. Yeah, whereas yeah. the humans think they are. Yeah, they're, that it's an act of war. So you're right. They're right. They're, that's worth pointing out. Um, so the, the the city administrator doesn't believe that it's that the, this poison in the water. He thinks it's the doctor trying to trick them all. Um, and right, he th- he thinks that that uh, Ian pretended to be ill. And then pretended to be cured from the doctor's cure. Right, right, and and it's the sign of you know the, the well, that irrational hatred is irrational and causes you to come to mm-hmm. irrational conclusions, which is a a nice point to be making here. Well, it is from our perspective because we know that the doctor is Ian was not pretending, and mm-hmm. Ian really was deathly ill. But it's actually shows some sophistication to to have the censorite asking the question. What else could explain this if I'm right. right that they're up to no good? That's true. And thinking, oh, well, this could all just be a fake. They're conning us. Mm-hmm. 
Right, right. Uh, is it, it's but just, it also shows it also shows the risk of you get too caught up in a perspective, too yeah. caught up in a conclusion, right? And everything you can fit everything to that conclusion, even when you're making bad leaps of logic, as that, the city yeah. administrator shortly will do. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So he he is he says at one point um, he intercepts the the antidote and destroys it and says, well, if if this was the if this was a fake then Ian will get better and just get up and walk around because he can't continue to pretend to be dying. If he dies, well, so what? <laughs> yeah. And, and and so it's all well, Ian's in danger here. So they have to uh, find the cause. And then eventually they get but, a second dosage of the antidote. And yeah. All Susan, Susan goes to the lab and gets another dose. I like, though, before then, one line that struck me as particularly comical is when Ian um actually this they've also brought down John the astronaut who has the brain problem right and so the first elder agrees before Ian falls sick uh he agrees to have his scientists heal John and right. so he he tells he tells them conduct him to one of the restrooms <laughs> yeah it's like Really? That's where you're going to fix his brain in the restroom? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, that would be the difference in British versus American terminology. Well, well, I had, I had to laugh too when when Ian did fall sick. You know, the doctor asked the first elders, "How long? How long does this illness take?" Three days, and the doctor's like, three days as long as that? I've got you yeah. know, kind of like that. I've got all the time in the world to solve this." <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, the, uh, at one point, the doctor keeps shouting at the sensorites, and which is because he's uh, outraged at their at. at you know, the things that they're doing and they <laughs> keep Susan's cringing great embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they keep cringing because they take shouting as if, as if it's a physical attack. Um, so the. Uh, we have the doctor goes into the aqueducts to investigate this poison. Um, he's attacked the 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 uh, sensorites won't something. go in there. Right. The sensorites won't go in because it's dark and because there's loud noises of something down there. And, uh, and so the doctor, oh, tut tut, and and, and and they believe they're monsters, right? Yep. And so the doctor and is attacked. Do, hint, down they, there. do hint they do hint there's something down there because they talk about how they tried, they've been trying to light up those waterways, those aqueducts, and ha and it keeps failing. Right. Something keeps yeah, taking the bulbs so, out. <laughs> yeah. So so this is an area where the writing falls down a little bit. It's like what? They don't have flashlights and earplugs? Well, apparently they do have flashlights because well, they, they have give flashlights. her one. Well, I, I was going to say, because then they turn around and they give them to the humans. So <laughs> what makes us so more qualified to go down there than you guys? Right, right. Uh, so the, the another interesting part. So the second elder is killed in the in by the city administrator. Uh, in the process of trying to get him to to do their bidding and and trick the first elder, yeah. um, it's an accident. They don't deliberately kill him, but he does die. Right, but now he has to be replaced, and the doctor unwittingly recommends the city administrator to be second elder, yeah. which was a nice touch Oops. there. This this is a great moment where the companions, you know, like are making a deduction that like, hey, he'll like us if we support his candidacy now, so we, <laughs> yep. we can get him on our side this way. When just the opposite is the case, right? They're doing and, doing themselves da uh, damage in this case, right? Um, I I also really liked how when the by this point the city administrator has already taken to impersonating the second elder, and as soon as I, I, it's the lady astronaut, I forget her name, Carol. But, um, yeah, Carol. That's right. The, so Carol has been talking to him and noting that oh, I can't even tell you apart without your distinctive, you know, clothing fashion accessories. 
indicating your status. And the, and the city administrator is like, ooh, I never thought of that before. And it's like, we have Chekhov's sash on the table now. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Those sashes become very important. Um, so the uh, the second the new second elder arranges for the doctor and Ian, who are going back into the aqueducts, to be given useless weapons. They have these these little hand racket weapons that they're or uh, dream catcher weapons <laughs> that that uh, are, are apparently very handy. But uh, the doctor that will paralyze you. Oh, and and so the doctor here says. Yep. I've I've never liked weapons of any kind, but these are these are handy little things. <laughs> and so I prefer this attitude to more the anti-weapon mm-hmm. screeds that we get in more recent seasons. This yes. is much right. more reasonable. Right. Yes. I mean, the doctor doesn't like weapons, but when it's necessary and we see the third doctor and, and, and some of the later doctors, they end up having to take them up. Uh, so. At one point, uh, Carol is kidnapped by the the second elders mm-hmm. henchmen uh, and John, who he's the astronaut who had his brain was messed with, who and they're engaged. by, the And way. they were engaged. Right. And he comes to her rescue, which was a nice uh, a touch there. Um, at one point, someone says, I forget exactly the context. I have it written down here. You don't trust the ground you walk on until you test. Oh, this is Susan and the doctor. You don't trust the doc, the ground you walk on until you test it. So why trust? Your people implicitly, implicitly. No, Susan's the first elder. And I'm like, I trust the ground implicitly. I don't trust it before I walk on it everywhere. It was a very. Maybe if, yeah. Unless, Maybe unless if it's you... something unique or di- different that you're not sure. You know, like say <laughs> yeah. ice this time of year for those of us in norm- northern climes. Yes. Um, or maybe if your feet are like, you know, little perfectly round circles that you need <laughs> yeah. to test the ground with. Right. But it's just the, the idea like, well, no, I, that's yeah. the point. Like she actually basically proves this point, which is I trust everything, the, my normal, the people I'm surrounded with implicitly. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of funny. Uh, there's, there's a nice, that's a, a kind of a flaw, but there's a nice bit of reasoning where, at, so at one point before the city administrator has become the new second elder, He's brought in a guy to accuse the doctor, who's like one yes. of his totems, in fact, totems. Mm-hmm. And um, and he's been told to say it was the doctor who killed the original second elder. Right. Mm-hmm. That he saw and it. that he saw it and he saw him take something out of his pocket. And the doctor at this point has just come back from the aqueduct underworks and his coat has been torn to shreds by whatever attacked him. And so the first elder has just brought uh, him a uh, a cloak, a, right. co- a, a, a cape to wear. Yep. And he makes the remark about Bo-, Bo Brummel always did like me in a cape, which is like, as far as I, there are probably earlier name drops the doctor has done, but this is one of the first. He was a 17th mm-hmm. century, like fashion plate, like fashionista. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I thought he was 19th century, but I could be mistaken. I, I could be wrong. Um, but in any event, so uh so Ian steps up and says so you saw the doctor kill the second elder and you saw him take this thing out of his pocket was it his was it his uh coat pocket and he's like standing between the uh this the factotum and the doctor so he can't see him mm-hmm. and he says yes yes it was his it was it, it, it you know he, he ends up being exposed because the first elder has just given him this new cape right and yep. it is inconsistent with the factotum story <laughs> right well, I lo- I and love, so I love they the have doctors. this moment 
it's like in the book, it's like in, in Daniel 13 with the story of Susanna, where you have the elders tricked by their own world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I love the doctor's pose at that point, too. He takes the cloak and kind of wraps it around him and kind of, you know, gets a, you know, a nice pose going there as he's standing there <laughs> showing that this guy's a fool. Right. Yeah. Well, he took it out of his coat. Well, his coat was gone by when at that yeah. point, moment. Oh, well, coat or cloak. I mean, I can't tell the difference between those. And the first elder is the one who says, I just gave him that cloak. He didn't have even a cloak at that point and yep. proves the guy is lying who is taken off to prison. And then the second elder busts him out again. So uh, all to the bad. But uh, so it turns out that the sensorites as a people are not the bad guys. Uh, the poisoning was being done by these humans who were shot down by the sensorites and were living in the tunnels uh, as seen by their wild hair and extensive beards uh, that they they must be <laughs> wild extensive men. fake beards the extensive they were apparently made insane by the sensorite telepathy and thought that they were at war as uh, father Corey pointed out um and so things are wrapped up quite nicely at the end susan is sad that she wants to lift telepathy because apparently um it was the sense sphere that was giving her the telepathy uh, um and she this is one of the things that is this, at this moment where i felt like they're setting up Susan's departure where she says she wants to she just wants to feel like she belongs somewhere like she kind of says she's kind of getting tired of the mm. traveling so if that's what kind of made me think that she was uh preparing her departure uh-huh so well it wasn't that I mean isn't that pretty much considered the reason why they ended up on earth is she wanted to settle down somewhere and you know, but she and, wanted to stay on Earth at least. That's yeah, yeah, that's what I mean though. But it was you know, stay there and and be a, just a normal school kid and all that. Right, right, that's true. And then we, as we end the episode, we're setting up the next the next series, the next uh, set of episodes, and the next story. We have this very strange shift to me that seems strange, where the Ian says something that seems somewhat innocuous, and the Doctor like flies off the handle at him. And like issues this threat to cast Ian off of the off of the TARDIS at the next stop. Uh, it was a very strange moment, and I know that segues are not always easy. I get this. Well, it's it was weird because literally the conversation before they walk in was between the Doctor and Susan talking about it. This old ship of mine seems to be an aimless thing, and then Ian says basically the same thing. Right. But maybe it was because his was more of an insult of, you know, at least they know where you're talking about the ship, the, the human ship that's flying off. At least they know where they're going. Right. So maybe it was the fact that it was more of an insult to the, or the doctor took it as more of an insult versus, well, the ship is just an aimless old ship. Right. Maybe a little case of you. I can criticize my father, but you cannot. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So. Uh, so anyway, so that's how it ends up setting up uh, the next story, which is apparently. Uh, the Reign of Terror, which is one that it doesn't exist. It's one of the last episodes, right? Um, yes. It, which will take place in... I think we have parts of it because I think I've seen... Because the Doctor plays two roles in that. Mm. Um, I mean, this is another one like The Enemy of the World where the Doctor gets to play both a hero, the hero and a villain. Okay. Mm. Um, so I think there's maybe some episodes that I don't remember. Yeah, uh, the TARDIS wiki is showing it as partially missing. Okay, okay. So there are uh, there are parts of it available out there to see. So uh, maybe there's some a way we can uh, still cover this for you folks and still uh, do do this yeah. one justice. Yep. Uh, that that would be great. So any final thoughts, any notes that I've missed that you guys wanted to bring out from from the sensorites? 
uh, Jimmy. I do have a oh Father uh, Corey, you go ahead. Oh, oh sorry. Here's a um, couple of things I liked at the very beginning where they actually walked right from the TARDIS console room into the ship. There was no. Yeah. You actually watched them. I think that's probably the first time that they actually show them walking from one to the other. Right. Instead correct. of there being you know a cut scene, you know. It, between. It's also one of maybe the only time it happens in Classic Who. Right. You know. It's, um. I, I got a kick out of the fact the astronauts had absolutely no qualms about space travel. They just, <laughs> oh, you're from the 21st century. Well, I mean, the 20th century. Yeah, that works. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Ian has the perfect definition of companion separation. Well, I don't like this splitting up. It always leads to trouble. <laughs> That's, That's right. it right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then kind of one last thing. Uh, Ian, or excuse me, Susan was talking to the uh, first elder describing their home planet Gallifrey and she says we don't know it's Gallifrey yeah that's why I say Gallifrey but the home planet at night the sky is a burnt orange and the leaves on the tree are bright silver well that should sound familiar to us because just last week we did gridlock yeah that's exactly how the 10th doctor described Gallifrey yeah a little more explanation but that's basically how he described it as well that was a callback all the way to here that established the basic color scheme of Gallifrey very very nice very nice that's the sort of thing I like with but the show that's been on for 50 plus years to be able to call all the way back to the beginning uh, to, to elements. It's really nice. Yeah. J- Jimmy, do you have some stuff? I was going to mention the same thing about Gallifrey. Also, um, Susan, the doctor, it, it, he's a little ambiguous with her about the telepathy, um, even though it is going to diminish because they're leaving the sense sphere. He says they can still kind of go on to explore it or cultivate it and see what happens with it in the future. Right. All right, so that's uh, let's finish up that discussion. So before we finish, I want to take a moment, as we often do, to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Doctor Who. Uh, today, we wanted to thank Catherine N., Kim L., Laura M., Matthew B., Sailing L. Uh, through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give, they make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at sqpn.com. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Uh, so, th- like I said, that's it from us. What did you think of this first Doctor story, The Sensorites, which you can watch online in various places? But uh, I watch it at BritBox.com, which is a streaming mm-hmm. pay service. Uh, that's one place you can watch it. You uh, can also get that through Amazon.com. That's yep. right. That's right. Uh, my wife likes British mis- uh, crime mysteries. So BritBox is a makes sense for us <laughs> so yeah. let us uh, know what you think by visiting sqpn.com or the secrets of doctor who facebook page and leave us some feedback or send us an email to doctor who at sqpn.com you can find links to all our personal social media and websites on our show notes on sqpn.com we'll be back next time when we'll, what are we i uh, just forgot what are we discussing next time the, the highlanders Hi- the highlanders which is a second doctor story where the Doctor meets Jamie, one of the most popular companions of all time. Um, and this is a unique episode because it's not available on as video. Uh, it's only of the yeah, audio. But it is available on audio with right. linking narration, and it's also been novelized. So uh, you can check it out, and uh, and we'll definitely be telling you about it. Yeah, you can find it online. Um, uh, Audible has it and some other places. So well, that'll be next time. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me. In sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Always glad to be here. And thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, the Doctor doesn't make threats, but he makes promises. And he always keeps his promise. 
This is gonna be fun.